Welcome to the Cannabis Data Science Meetup Group. You're in for a huge treat today. I have a gigantic data of cultivation data to share with you. A member of the Meetup Group specifically requested this, and it allowed me to really think about what are some meaningful statistics to calculate that are relevant to people in the cannabis space. And I have more than a dozen groundbreaking statistics to share with you today. I have a huge group today, a really good panel. So we've got some new people joining and you're always welcome to speak up. This is a meetup after all. So always feel free to share your best thoughts, ideas, comments, questions. And for those listening on LinkedIn, please join the discussion, put your comments in the chat and we'll have a lively discussion today. Without further ado, I'm happy to hear some thoughts that people may want to put on the table. Otherwise, I can go ahead and start a quick presentation that's got dozens and dozens of cool visualizations. If I may, Keegan, take you up on that uh, announcements uh, offer. Yeah, so... <laughs> Everyone who uh, knows me, good to see you again, and new faces, great to see you also. Welcome. This is always such an awesome meetup, and shout out to Keegan for just keeping it so interesting. I wanted to announce that the Copyleft Cultivar is a nonprofit uh, that I direct. My name is Caleb Delu, by the way. Um, our nonprofit has been uh, working on some AI farming tools, and we just released the first. Uh, beta test version of the natural farming fertilizer chatbot, which is a system that is the first um, agronomically accurate and locally customizable fertilizer assistant um, using AI technology. And we uh, have the cutting edge uh, preview version available on our Patreon um, and soon we'll be uh, opening that up publicly and, and openly uh, as soon as funding allows. So just wanted to announce that here and uh, also give a shout out just because this meetup group has been a great part of uh, developing our nonprofit and a great source of inspiration. And we really hope to, to work more with people in this nonprofit going forward. But uh, yeah, if people want to check that out, um, our website is copyleftcultivars.com or copyleftcultivars nonprofit on Patreon. And uh, if you reach out to me at copyleftcultivars at gmail.com and mention you're in this uh, meetup group, I'd love to, to also make that uh, natural farming chatbot available to you uh, in the preview form. So uh, go ahead and reach out. And uh, again, big shout out to Keegan and, and this meetup group. Well, that may be one of the coolest or at least the most advanced use of AI that I've seen to date. I'd I absolutely love it. People have been asking, how can you use AI in the cannabis space? And this new project that Caleb just announced sounds like exactly how. I encourage you all to connect with Caleb. He's an awesome person, awesome meetup member. And this sounds like an awesome project. And it's so pertinent to the material for today. I know Caleb growing naturally, perhaps organically, is perhaps an interest concern to you. 
and that will be part of the discussion today as well as how do you grow healthy plants that's also the discussion of the day absolutely love it on on that note oops, i'm going to go ahead and share my screen with you we can go ahead and start off with some statistics and once again, I love, Caleb, that you brought some material to share with the group. Anyone, you're always welcome to come and share your latest and greatest cannabis data science. If you ever want to put together a presentation for the group, you're more than welcome to. Let's just go ahead and, and just get straight to things. We said we're interested today in healthy cannabis plants. Probably most people want those, right? Pretty much everybody does. The name of the game is growing cannabis flower that people love. And I just started to list off factors that we can at least measure. If you can think of more factors, the more the merrier. And in fact, we always say this is what statisticians have fun talking about at lunch is, what variables matter and how do we go about measuring them and so just some things that have come to mind that have we've talked about in prior meetups the two biggest are genetics and environment and of course we would love to have a genetics lab get some real quality genetics data for us that's expensive. What do we have? We at least have strain names. And of course, it's been pointed out time and time again that these are not true predictors, I would say, of a plant's, say, genetics, but hey, we at least have something. Next, we want to know about a cultivator's environment. We have some tiny, tiny little bit of environment data that I'm about to share with you. This is the smallest amount of environment data that you could perhaps have. And I know some people in the meetup group are interested in this. And so once again, this is a place where you can brainstorm. And of course, techniques. So many growers have very, very I don't want to say set in stone, but very opinionated beliefs about how the best way to grow cannabis is. Then there's lots of different ones, right? Just to name a few, there's hydroponic. A big conversation these days is do you go soil or I want to say rock wool? I'm sure there's a cultivator in the audience that knows more than I, but there's tons and tons of factors that you can dial do you want to go with the old school types of lights um once again i don't know them off the top of my head or do you want to go with something newer like the leds and then it, and even you could even chalk in some things i guess um there's a there's that's that's a big umbrella that we're going to let catch a lot today Another variable, are you growing from seed or clone? We've talked about that in the past. 
we can take that into consideration. Another kind of umbrella factor that I have today is the year a plant was planted. That's a big umbrella for maybe there were some big seasonal variances that year, or even there's some advancements in technology. So that's something that economists are always talking about is technologies improving year to year to year. So we can kind of let the year capture, say, overall improvements of technology industry-wide. And then we'll take in consideration when a plant was planted, right? The time of year matters probably a lot. And a hot topic that we're going to wade into because it may be of concern is the, the application of pesticides. Can you grow healthier plants with or without pesticides? That is something that people want to know and something that, Caleb, this could be something that, you know, you could build into the, the chat bot, maybe, you know, talk about some of the additives you may want to use on your plant or may not want to use, up to you. What data are we even working with? Well, I went back to the old Washington State traceability data because we actually have pretty good data here on cultivation statistics. Well, not pretty good, but we at least have some data. We would love to have more and more and more. A lot of this data, from my understanding, may even just be written down in, say, grow journals. And this is a would be a really cool use of AI machine learning that I've, I don't know if I've ever mentioned it here before, but I will now in that, hey, a lot of these growers may have notebooks and notebooks full of notes about their grows. We now have the tools to digitize that data and maybe make some sense out of it. Depending on the handwriting, you may be able to scan those documents, apply optical character recognition, if they have good handwriting, get some of the meaningful data out of it, and you may even be able to use natural language processing to standardize it. So that's a pie in the sky project. But if you're a cultivator and you're sitting on journals and journals of cultivation statistics, feel free to reach out to someone at the Cannabis Data Science Meetup group. Maybe you have the tools in your tool belt, but I would recommend you try to put that data to good use. Okay, these statistics, we'll just go ahead and get straight to the statistics here in Washington. And they may look a little grim at first, but there's a few things going on here. In 2022, the state formally transitioned, I want to say, to the CCRS traceability system, which is just an in-state traceability system. And so it may be that 
various plants were marked as harvested in 2022 that were perhaps harvested the year before, but people just wanted to get that data entered into the traceability system. So I'm going to chalk up the large difference in the number of harvested plants year to year into partially entry error, but some things aren't going to be entry errors. So for example, the cultivators decreased by 11%. Unfortunately, it may be that certain cultivators went out of business or stopped producing. The areas, so this is where I was talking about, we have the tiniest measure of environment. We essentially have an ID for the room a plant was cultivated in. And I suggest that we could potentially go quite far with this, right? Because we have many, many areas for many cultivators and there's rich conditional statistics you can do here, right? Do plants do better in one cultivator's area versus another? Is there so is there intra or inter cultivator variation in areas? The number of strains actually increased from 2022 to 2023. This is a little peculiar. Um, I guess the thought that I just had was, well, people are coming up with new strains and they're keeping their old strains. So perhaps the number of strains will always be increasing. So we may want to think about this as maybe, you know, maybe there were, you know, 24% more well, that's not actually the right way to say it, but there were a few hundred more, or actually a few thousand more new strains in 2023 than in 2022. What's interesting here is the number of mother plants decreased by around the same percentage as the number of cultivators. And then like I said, I wouldn't read too, too much in to the percent change in these destroyed plants or harvested plants, other than perhaps look at the totals for 2023. 2023 was the first full year that the state's just reliably been using the traceability system. So there may be tons of measurement error in 2022, 2023 may be a bit more accurate. And so look at this. There were just shy of 2 million plants harvested in Washington state in 2023. At the same time, there was almost half a million, 500,000 plants that were destroyed during this time period. Of course, we know males 
usually don't last too long in the cannabis industry. But can we chalk that all up to, say, males being cold? Or are plants dying? That's something that, I don't know, it may be worth looking at. Right? We've done tons of, not tons, but we've done analysis on plants. Yeah, why don't we take a look at what plants aren't making it? Because that was something that I was telling some person is, right? You can run into bias when you study the winners. But I guess you could also run into bias there. But I think it's also effective to say, you know, study the losers, right? So study the the plant. And this is actually a famous lesson in statistics. Uh, bah, 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 bah. Ruth or someone, you may know this one better than I. They were studying bombers in World War II that made it back and trying to conclude, you know, what points on the, the plane were the weakest and basically all the planes that had bullet holes at the front of the plane didn't make it back and and so they so they weren't observed um really really bad analogy there but anywho we're we're concerned with plants yes you could study the plants that were harvested but the uh, point is what if we study the plants that were destroyed, figure out what went wrong, and try to do better, right? Try to not do what went, went wrong, so to speak. My apologies if I've uh, explained that poorly, but it will be meaningful. So stick around because there's going to be a really, really important takeaway at the end of this presentation. But first, we have to just trudge through some of these statistics. And also, if any of you have any thoughts, comments, questions as we march, just let me know and I'll pause and we can have a nice discussion. Just to start showing you some of the data here, this is a statistic that is readily reported for a lot of different varieties. People want to know how long is the plant going to take to harvest? This is typically reported in days of flowering, which if you're clever, you could probably calculate from this data. The easier statistic to calculate is simply when a plant was created, I'd say, you know, when was the plant put in the ground? And then when was the plant harvested? When was it cut down? And remember, they may get, you know, cut down early for various reasons, say destroyed. But here you have the average, or not the average, the, the mode, most plants, are staying in the ground for 84 days. But Ruth, you had a comment or a question? Yeah, I'm wondering like the zero or the low ones, maybe how long does it take? Is this flowers or is it from time to flower or time planted? 
these are our plant. So, oh, good question. This is a good time to show you this data. Okay, so the, here, the point that I wanted to make is it could be if you ask how long does it take before you realize that it's a male plant and then the males are destroyed, it could count for those early destroyed plants or the, the low life uh, plants. Good question. Right here, I'm just showing harvested plants. So basically, here's the CCRS data model. Yeah. I just got all plants that had, bah, 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 there should, yeah, I just got all plants that had a harvest date. So right, so right now, these are all the plants that successfully made it through to harvest. But that doesn't make sense that they had a lifetime of zero days. Phenomenal point, Ruth. And this is where I go into, it's not perfect, like the data, right? I said we were lucky to have the data. I didn't necessarily say it was high quality data. This there's, is there's always a possibility that people different people interpret what harvest means differently. Some could mean that they actually grew the whole plant and others can say, well, I grew it, it turned out to be a male and I killed it. So the time I killed it was when I harvested it. There, the, exactly, you raise a good point. How people say interpret the, the traceability rules, that is a factor. I have a feeling that the zeros are ones that I don't know. Maybe you know, maybe it's harvest time, and you know, they realize there's you know a thousand plants in the room, but maybe like only nine hundred on the books. So they say, and once again, I'm just conjecturing. So maybe they said, "Oh, whoops, we forgot to record some plants. Let's make sure they're recorded." I don't think that's necessary. I don't think that's likely. I think it's more the case that you may have software systems that aren't handling it correctly. So maybe someone's software system is just using the same date for updated and created. Um, but I'm generally considering, and in fact, these statistics here are excluding any plant that were that was harvested in less than 30 days so that was that was sort of my rule of thumb was anything less than 30 days i'm generally considering a measurement error or entry error but when once again i think there's bigger fish to fry but i think this is one where I think that like that's up to the LCB, I think, right? So if, right you and it's not a negligible amount, right? There's there's like a hundred thousand plants that have a you know you that were apparently grown in a, you know less than a day. Um so like I said, maybe there's some um either licensee or in Washington State they have verified integrators. So maybe there's a software system or maybe even someone's SOP is wrong um, or maybe their test cases, then maybe I didn't properly scrub the data of them.
Um, so long story short is there's it's notable, right? You, right? you shouldn't have a plant flowering and being harvested that quickly. Um, maybe they're they're miscoding destructions as harvests, right? Maybe some licensee is destroying plants and accidentally saying that they're harvested. I don't want to keep making up excuses for for this for this data other than to observe it and also maybe point it in your direction. After this meetup, I'm going to make sure all this data is readily available. It will be on the GitHub and I'll probably even have to attach it on LinkedIn and maybe even mail it all out just to make sure everybody has the link. Because I also want to get you last week's data too. I don't think that's online yet either. So I want to get you last week's data and this week's data. So make sure to be in touch if you don't have that by the end of today. And the reason why is I would encourage you all to scrub through it and see what you can find, right? I didn't have time today to, to dig into these observations, but I encourage you to. But I did exclude the these that were less than 30 from the average. So the average excluding plants that had a life cycle less than 30 days is about 100 days. And the way I'm conceptualizing this, and once again, I'm sure there's, I mean, I'm not even a cultivator. I, I'm, a, I'm an economist, so you can all rag on me all you want for my lack of cannabis cultivation knowledge. But that's why we all bring something to the table. I just happen to bring some statistics to the table. And so if you all have cannabis cultivation knowledge, drop it in the chat, reach out to the group, let us know about it. So let us know about these things. But from my rudimentary knowledge, the I would say, we're just, I'm just put, putting a number on it, but let's say the average time for vegetation is 30 days. And it may not be. We actually may be able to calculate that in this data. So I would encourage you all to figure that out. So what is the average time a plant is in the vegetative stage in Washington? But I'm just saying, okay, what if it's around 30 days? Then you're looking at maybe the mode of around 54 days of flower to an average of around 70 days of flower. And that's around the ballpark that I've just seen. So that, that kind of fits my prior where I think cultivators who are trying to really hurry and get their flower out or growing fast growing strains I want to say you're aiming for 50 to 60 days or so of flower. And then, you know, they can, plants can obviously take 70 or vastly more days. And then finally, it would be pertinent to note the outliers on this end. And I actually excluded the outliers above 365 days. Once again, is this measurement error or is it meaningful? But there are apparently plants that, you know, have been alive for years. It's not impossible. I've just, I've heard tales 
of people keeping mother plants alive for years and years and years i don't i don't know so if you have any tales let us know also perhaps people growing outdoor have perhaps a tip a longer life cycle i don't know if you have any good projections let us know so so definitely criticize the data as much as you can because this is what we're building this is the foundation to our analysis so that's why we want to pick it apart really good okay i'm going to start moving through this so now i just wanted to say oh here are the mother plants so whoops they're quite similar these two charts except perhaps the mother plants are staying alive for longer i should have annotated the average here um but here you see the mother plants are typically lasting maybe longer than 50 days or so so here maybe these mothers are are dying or 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 maybe people are just taking the clones in the, the early stages or who knows this is kind of tangential but i thought it was a a cool a cool chart to show you and actually i just realized that i don't know how reasonable some of these numbers are but this is the number of clones per mother plant and once again i'll let all of you in the the audience leave your best thoughts but this was a topic that had come up at a prior meetup and i realized that today was actually a day that we could finally answer that question in that we actually had a meetup member who had experience cultivating bring up the point that by the time you take a certain amount of clones from a mother plant that they had said anecdotally the clones either don't do well or or it may exhaust the mother the mother may end up dying i'm not certain don't don't hold me to that that's 100 percent anecdotal but i was just kind of wondering you know how many clones you know can a plant produce and um oh, actually this is zero actually I, I got my axes backwards so so most mother plants the people are just producing like one or two clones but um actually they're not thousands um so you see you know the majority is say is below 50 to 100 you're seeing some mothers making you know 150 to 200 clones but it looks like very few mother plants are making you know up to 250 clones so so now you know so i i don't know i just like to to gather these statistics and put them in my back pocket because say you're you're building out a cultivation and you're you know you're trying to figure out how to make enough clones right maybe you have a license to have a thousand or ten thousand plants 
how many mothers are you going to need to get that many plants? Here is the lifetime of plants that were destroyed. And the lifetime for these is going to be the day the plant was planted up to the day the plant was destroyed. So you see some plants, you know, making it 200 to 300 or more days before getting destroyed. Looks like the majority of them are getting destroyed before 150 days. But this is the first, and this one was to be expected, right? Most of the plants being destroyed are before 50 days. And then, you know, hopefully, if you can make it past the 50 day mark, then this is the time period where you start to get to harvest. So, why did they get destroyed? Well, and this is maybe not the best chart. So here, I'll, I'm going to go back and forth between these two charts. I'll show you this one first. Um, so why were plants destroyed? For some other reason. <laughs> so this is this is one of the ones where you just would love better data quality, but this is what we have. And as I mentioned, a lot of the times in the Cannabis Data Science Meetup, we just work with what we're given, use it as a thought exercise and say, hey, if you're doing this on your own, if you're running your own cultivation, you can take this so much further. You can be much more rigorous about recording reasons why your plant died and you can then use that to your advantage today we're unfortunately just going to have to work under the assumption that hey a plant was destroyed so that's as far as i'm taking it because this is unfortunately too unreliable in the whole data set there were only like 300 plants that said they were destroyed because they were male plants. But as we know, that's a common practice in the cannabis industry. So part of me wonders, you know, are people saying the male plants were destroyed for some other reason? You know, maybe, but then that also allows everything else to get lumped in there. Um, and then also things like too much water, too little water. I bet that happens more often than you'd think. Contamination, eh, that, that may be about right. Mites, Candace, you're, you probably have some, some pointed opinions here. Or I don't know if you if you said you uh, had mites in one unfortunate go round, but it happens to the best of them. So people in Washington State have had some mites. Um, you know, hey, let's face it: if you're growing plants, bugs are going to be trying to figure out how to eat your plants. 
it's just the name of the game. Um, so, you know, reach out to Caleb because it's a bug eat bug world. And, you know, there's lots of interesting ways to combat pests. I use predator mites for those little pesky spider mites. Exactly. It's a bug eat bug world. And like I said, people may not want to advertise that their plants had mites, right? So if you're if you're going to go to the traceability system and say you're destroying your plant, and you know that this is going to be on you know, Keegan's desk with a public records request, you may you may want to just choose the other category. So who can fault them, right? So if the cultivator chooses other rather than disclosing they have mites, so, so be it. Um, well, you wanna get rid of the mites while you're, before you go into flower. That's I actually- I would it if it was in the flower and I had still had mites. And then they hitchhiked on uh, some clones that uh, somebody gave me of uh, GG4, but- Both of those points are pertinent. When do you destroy it and clones those pesky clones so okay so now we know these reasons let's start to get to some of the, the cool statistics here um i just wanted to do a quick time plot oh here's the number of plants harvested here's the number destroyed just to just to point out yet again that of course as we would like, more plants are being harvested than destroyed, but I don't know. It just feels like a non-negligible amount, and that's going to be a loss, right? Um, and I'll talk about that here in a second. So you want to you want to avoid losing your plants. Okay, now we get to some of the really really cool statistics where we really get to have fun and start making some insights. I did these rather quick and I want to do another double check myself. Plus I would love to have all of you double check all of this code. So this is gonna be my big hedge that as always take the statistics at face value because I may have made an error somewhere along the way. I made, you know, my handful of assumptions. So they are what they are, but this sh at least shows you a method to analyzing this madness. What did I do here? I did lump in all the plants together. So, and I don't know if that was the best or worst process, but that's how I proceeded. There's a way that you can analyze data. It's called the survival analysis. And it's super, super interesting and effective. In many circumstances, you observe how long something lives, whether it's I don't know, it, it can be anything, right? It can be your computer. They do use this in like drug trials and stuff. So it is used in the pharmaceutical industry, but it's used in, in industry 
um, like there's lots of interesting ways you can uh, look at um, time. So like how long, um, you know, like uh, the in uh, the Simpsons, like the how long has it been since there's been a fire? Um, like one day. <laughs> um, so that's basically how long did you survive without an accident? So there's a lot. Maybe you're looking at a race um, and maybe some participants didn't like maybe you're looking at a marathon race and some participants didn't even make it to the to the end. So there's basically a couple things happening where there's the unsuccessful, in this case, plants that were destroyed. So on day one there really should be a 100% chance of survival. As you can see, there's not, there's maybe a, like a 93% chance. Once again, we're not 93, but there's a less than 100% chance on day one. That may just be because of the measurement error from our data, or it could be that people are in fact planting plants and then destroying them on the same day. I don't think that's too, too likely. Uh, so I would say this curve is kind of biased uh, downwards a little bit here at the beginning. But basically, this line depicts the probability that your plant is going to make it to the next day. So on day one, you have a really high probability that your plant makes it to the next day. On day two, similar day three similar but lower by the time you're at day 50 you know there's a there's still a really high probability that your chance your plant lives as time goes on chances decrease and then remember there's sort of the the natural lifetime of a plant um, and so some of these plants are being destroyed. And then at this stage, this is where plants start getting harvested. So the way I am kind of conceptualizing this is I'm not distinguishing between destruction and harvest, just what's the chances of your plant making it to the next day. And your goal as a cultivator is to get your plant to the finish line, get your plant to harvest day before it dying or having to be destroyed for some reason. Um, and then, you know, you know, say once you get to day 100, you know, there's maybe only like a 33 or, you know, there's only like a 40% chance of your plant meeting, you know, another day. Um, so this is completely unconditional, but it just kind of gives you uh, an idea of, you know, how much longer is left for, for this plant. Um, one, I think there's a bit more you can do with this. So I would do that conditional if you can on the ones that were destroyed and then the ones were harvested. Um, and I think that could better disentangle this for you, but I'm going to start disentangling it in other ways because that one was actually kind of confusing myself. 
So I'm just going to start. Do and also if if anyone at this point doesn't understand these survival curves, make some noise, and I'll try to to do a better job of explaining it. Um, or, or ask ChatGPT real quick in the background, and it could start you down a, a fruitful rabbit hole. But long story short, I'm just going to start making this curve conditional on various variables. And this is how we're going to start seeing our various variables meaningful on if a plant was able to survive. I'm going to start with the easy ones um, and move to the more meaningful ones. This one, the year, I don't know what to read into this. I don't know if this is just because 2022 had measurement error, perhaps. As I mentioned, people were maybe recording their plants from 2021. So it may look like plants have longer lifespans than, than expected. So this may be a hundred percent measurement error and let's hope it is because you would like to think year to year technology is improving and people are getting better and better at keeping their plants alive on average but unfortunately for whatever reason and once again the harvest time is mixed into this so it could be that people are harvesting sooner or there's more plants being destroyed. Not too certain other than the plants at every point in time that were planted in 2023 have a lower survival rate than the plants planted in 2022. So if I was in Washington, I would take a little heed at this and start thinking, are there mites or we've heard of hopslate and viroid, you know, are there viruses or bugs in the cannabis industry that are spreading? Because that's something that that may chalk up to, to this sort of variation. Just to start looking at tons and tons of factors. Here I, I did the survival rate conditional on month. There's not too much that jumps out at me here. I should have found a better color for you, but yeah, blues and greens is pretty appropriate. But the only thing that really jumped out at me was December. For some reason, December and I'm pretty certain that this, this line's December, has a much lower, and once again, is this much lower, but it, it has a lower survival rate in the first 50 days than the other month months. And honestly, it kind of chalks up to my expectations. Washington's a fairly cold, wintry, wet place. There's of course, not as cold and as brutal as in Massachusetts, but hey, you know, 
if you're thinking about planting, if you can hold off from December to, to January, you know, if you could increase the probability of your plant surviving by 10, 15%, is it worth the wait? It may not be worth it. You may just have to take the hit. But long story short, this is something that you can look at in, in your own farm. Do you have better luck planting at certain times of the year? Oops. Okay, this one I think is not correct because these are plants that are marked as mother plants also it's time to, to pause for the cause for the audience so this is kind of a lesson to me that okay i need to start moving fast through all of these statistics and it's time for you as an audience that if you want you can pause for the cause take a puff and think of your best thoughts comments and questions and i'll move to answering your questions here in just a second but this chart may be entirely miscoded but the plants that the licensee said were mother plants aren't lasting nearly as long as non-mothers so this one this chart is entirely opposite of what i was expecting i was expecting mothers would last longer um so I don't know what to make of this. There is a an inversion here. So it's possible that the act of cloning a plant may drastically decrease its chances of surviving in the early days, right? So if you're cloning a plant um, and it's not even 50 days old yet, maybe you're just not planning on keeping it around long so it may just be hey they're just using the mother and then they're done with it after 50 days i'm not certain um and then it could be that hey if the mothers do make it past say 120 days or so then they have a higher chance of living so i'm not going to read too too much into that one other than i think this is a figure that should be reproduced because i don't trust the data on that one Here's one that, once again, the data may not be super great on. I, I want to say there's a large, I forget what the count is, but there's definitely more, significantly more clones being grown than seed. And to the point where it makes me wonder if it may be entry error. It may be just for whatever reason, everybody's just has their method as clone hard-coded in or something so i don't know what's going on there but i'll just interpret the chart the way it is the way i would interpret this is cl both clones and seeds have comparable survival rates up to about 60 or 70 days at which point the seeds appear to have a better survival rate 
So maybe if you're a cultivator, this makes sense. Maybe not. You know, maybe the, the plants grown from seeds are the ones that make the really good mothers and people keep those around. Maybe those are the ones that are grown outdoors. Or maybe it is that clones, hey, at a day 70 or or what have you, we're chopping this, we're chopping this down. We're chopping these clones down. So it could just be that clones are, you know, much more set in stone. So hey, it's time to chop them down. And that would actually make sense, right? They're all genetically identical. So when it's time to chop down one clone, it's probably time to chop them all down. So, so, so that was sort of the last sort of fun one that, that's just sort of real casual and fun. And now we're gonna get to a really serious topic and I'm just gonna lay it out on you and try to be as unopinionated as possible and just give you the st statistics. The topics come up before that, hey, we're observing pesticides. Well, as an economist, we want to get at the reason why people are engaged in their various behaviors. So it's basically like, hey, we observe people using, unfortunately, in Washington state, Besides from a, a handful of pesticides, I want to say that pyrethrins and the piperennial butoxide, which we have observed in the past before, I want to say they may even be on the list of approved pesticides. So don't quote me on that. Go double check the list. Um, but they have a, you know, a list of various pesticides and what the active ingredient is. So I didn't include those. So I basically said, hey, if you're using a, an approved pesticide, you know, that you know, that's approved. But here I'm just gonna look at at banned pesticides and, and just try to figure out like why are people using them, right? They wouldn't use them if there was no reason, right? Or well, I mean maybe they would, but Presumably, there's some reason to why they're using them. And here's a research question. You know, if you're using a, one of these strong banned pesticides, you know, do your plants have a lower or greater chance of survival? Just to show you that, hey, we are in fact, we are in fact observing these pesticides. In 2022, there were almost 1,500 batches of cannabis. Once again, this does include concentrated products. So I haven't disentangled concentrates here. So these numbers are going to be over. Yeah, I think these are including concentrates. So this is going to be overstating the amount of, say, plants that actually had pesticides in them. But I'm just saying that, hey, we're observing, you know, a large number of tests. And what what is a large number? I'll I'll put that relative down below, um, in the on the next slide. But we are observing some tests, and it's actually increasing. Remember, most of the statistics that we saw were decreasing 
from 2022 to 2023. We have fewer cultivators, we have fewer plants, fewer areas, fewer harvests, but we are seeing more pesticides being used. And remember that one chart where 2023 lower survival rate, it could be it's tough to survive. Maybe people are using pesticides. What pesticides are being used? I just wanted to, to label the top 10. Um, I'll let you look into these. The, the only two that I've looked at myself were Paclobutrazole. That one was the PBZ, where that's a plant growth regulator. We talked about that in a previous meetup. And that's one where I want to say people are using that to get thicker flower buds. The, the other one that I looked up was this microbutanil. And I want to say that's an active ingredient in this, this spray that uh, is apparently pretty common in the cannabis industry. You may know it as Eagle. I don't, don't even remember what it was. It was like Eagle 40W or something like that. So one of you probably knows. But the, the active ingredient is microbutanil. And I want to say people were spraying this to increase the likelihood of their clones and maybe plants in vegetative state in general surviving. I think it's either, it could be a fungicide. I want to say it's a fungicide. So I think people are spraying that on their plants while they're in vegetative state to reduce the chances of getting fungus. Um, so whatever, so that one's, I think, a bit more pertinent about, say, a plant being destroyed, um, whereas, say, paclobutrazole, I want to say that's more just about enhancing the final product. Um, so regardless, these are the ones being used. Um, and I would encourage you all to look at the other ones because I haven't had time to study them. Luckily, the vast majority of these are just being detected a handful of times. And this is where I want to go on record and just say that like, hey, I'm sorry if your licensee got lumped in here with just uh, just a couple detections. Because as I said, same with spider mites, it happens to the best of them. So maybe you are running a super clean cultivation. Maybe you got, you know, a new batch of some sort of fertilizer, or maybe you didn't check your water, didn't check your soil medium. Who knows? Maybe your neighbor, that's a common one. Uh, maybe your neighbor sprayed something, your neighbor was spraying for bugs or who knows what have you and you got a detection it happens right so if you're you're testing a bunch of them right you may have one or two tests hey you got detected for pesticides so unfortunately i am counting those ones but once again not, not pointing any fingers but you know hey if you got you detected pesticides once or twice a low proportion of your samples hey you know that's actually of course, you'd want zero, 
but if you can at least keep your numbers down, that's that's good, right? And in fact, the right, this is the classic 80-20 rule. It looks like well more than 80% of cultivators and producers are able to keep their detection rates less than 20%. You know, 20% is getting a little high, but you know, that's okay. So I, what, what's the cutoff? I'll, you know, I'll let you be the judge of that, but you know, what, what's your personal cutoff? You know, if you're a cultivator, you know, maybe you don't, you think these are perfectly fine to use and you're okay with the, you know, a hundred percent of the products containing a trace amount of these. Um, but, you know, personally, I, I, I'm more on the, the 0% side, but um, this is a judgment call. But my point here is there are some licensees here that have, you know, north of 20%, you know, some north of 50% of their products containing these banned pesticides. Um, and my point is, I'm on, yeah, I'll actually get to my point here in a second. Um, yeah, I'll get to my point here in one more second. So here are the, the top 10. Once again, these are producers of both cannabis flower and concentrates. So these are the top 10 producers in Washington state ranked on the number of tests they're doing once again you really want to rank the size of a producer based on the quantity that they're producing because maybe somebody's just doing tons and tons of small batch tests but i think the number of lab tests is a pretty good proxy for how large a cultivator is um, and once again the largest cultivator in the state I may not even want to necessarily pick on them too much because, hey, they're, you know, they're testing in, um, I think this is a, a two years, 2022 and 2020. Actually, I limited this to 2023. So this is just in 2023. So in 2023, the top producer tested more than 1,500 samples in the year. And they did have a small percentage of those test positive for banned pesticides. So, you know, what, what is it? You know, is it just a fluke? So it's like, hey, we, you know, don't know what happened there, but some of the samples came back positive, right? There's, we run a large operation, you know, we had a, a positive batch here, we identified the cause, we addressed it, great. You know, the, the person in the, you know, the second place, the second most tests has, you know, a bit more of a detection rate. And, you know, no one has like too, too high of a percent, um, you know, and once again, it's like, what percent is, is a lot, right? Obviously, you'd want to be 
100% green, right? You'd want to be one of these cultivators who's, you know, you've done, like, right? Like this, this cultivator has done an outstanding job, right? They've, they've produced almost a thousand batches and not one has detected a banned pesticide. So, you know, so these, these companies I think are doing a pretty outstanding job at just testing and producing tons of cannabis without any banned pesticides. So if, you know, if you're one of these cultivators, you may want to, you know, reach out to them and see like, hey, you know, how are you doing it? Like, which they, they may, they probably won't tell you, um, but, uh, you know, what's their magic? You know, and as, as I mentioned, the ones that have a small detection rate, you know, do you give them a little bit of leniency? And then these ones that have a little bit higher, you know, is that a lot? I don't know. For me, when I'll, I'll like I said, I'll try not to be uh, opinionated, but you know, it is what it is. Um, my point here is I'm going to distinguish these as two types of licensees. And I'm just doing it for statistical purposes because it's easier to do statistics on binary variables than it is continuous variables. So I'm just using this as a binary classification that, hey, you either had banned pesticides detected in at least one test or 100% of your tests have been clean. So as I mentioned, that's a huge kind, not really an assumption, but that's a huge dichotomy because that's basically saying that these two retailers are night and day when they're really actually quite similar, right? This one just may have had like a couple positive tests, but that's basically my criterion. Have you know? Have you ever had a banned pesticide detected, or have you not? As I mentioned, you can make this continuous to be to, to have better statistics. And once again, it doesn't. Besides from this one licensee, even the the licensees that have had the most detections, um, and this isn't proportions. This is just number of detections. So these are the licensees that have had the most detections. But once again, like they're present, but it is definitely a minority of samples. The only one in the top 10 that had the majority um, is, is one licensee. Um, so, you know, the, you know, the statistics are what they are. But, but basically, I'm just using these to distinguish the two types here. Also, I'll get to my main my main point here in a second, but I just included this slide just as a nod to all the people in the lab space who are really concerned about making sure the labs are implementing you know, proper quality control. And I just wanted to point this out as in a huge assumption that underlies everything is that we're accurately measuring banned pesticides. 
And I just wanted to point this out because not all labs are measuring pesticides in the same way. So you have, or once again, their samples may be different. So there's a lot that's in this, but basically there's one lab that has almost a 10% detection rate. However, the majority of labs have less than a 2% detection rate. And actually one of these labs, I want to say uh, this small dot, I think had their license suspended this year um, because I think there are seven labs now. And I want to say the, the lab that had the, the fewest samples and one of the, actually, actually, I don't know if it was that lab. I actually want to say it was the lab that had the lowest detection rate that had their license suspended. So it very may have well been, I should have labeled these, but once again, not trying to point figure, point fingers, but one of these labs did have their license suspended in 2023. Um, and once again, you know, it could just be different strokes for different folks. So it could just be different producers are frequenting different labs. But the only point I really wanted to point here was the, you know, the, the lab that's testing the most samples in Washington state does have one of the lower detection rates. Uh, and as I said, I would try not to get opinionated, but this is more just interpretation of the data where when I see this, I start to get a little worried about the accuracy of the detection rates, because ideally you would like to have some sort of, you know, consensus between the labs. Um, so I'm not going to go too much on about that other than to point it out because I think it's pertinent. But here is the main figure that really brings everything home. And thank you for staying an extra bit of time today. I'll go ahead and get to the main, main takeaway. I saved the, the important part for last. So thank you for staying around this long. What is happening here? This is the survival rate for the licensees that they're um, for the licensees plants where the licensee never had a banned pesticide detected versus the licensee where a banned pesticide was detected at least once. I would actually encourage you to repeat this analysis, but maybe do it with the number of banned tests, right? Because as I mentioned, if you only have one banned pest, one failed test, and once again, they may not even be failed. I'm including any test where it was at least detected because I'm not trying to make this assumption, but I'm, I'm using it as a metric where I needed, I need some metric of which licensees are using pesticides and which ones are not. And it's an imperfect me metric. I am by no means saying that if you've had a banned pesticide detected, 
in any of your tests that you're using them? No, absolutely not. I'm just saying that And it even could be the case that if you've, right, you could be using banned pesticides and never have tested positive for them, right? Um, it, it's very possible. So there, there's measurement error on both sides of this coin where there's people who may be coded as never using a banned pesticide, but maybe they use them every day. Um, and then conversely, there's people who are coded as a banned pesticide has been detected, but maybe they've never, never even had one on their, their premise. But, so, so extrapolating out of that, if a licensee were to have used banned pesticides and we know for certain that they have and they you know this line is all accurate then this is how you would interpret it once again the interpretation likely doesn't hold because there's so so many assumptions but would it, if I were to interpret it the way the data has been laid out, then it would look like that, hey, if like a banned pesticide is applied, then the plants may survive at higher rates up to, you know, about the, say, 70, 80 day mark, which is when, when we noticed plants typically start getting harvested after this you know the the typical harvest point the the survival rate for the plants that may may not have had banned pesticides applied to them appears to be lower than than the other survival rate once again, there may be no statistically significant difference to this, right? It could just be, hey, these two lines are identical, but we just ended up drawing them differently. So I wouldn't read too, too much into this chart other than to say that this is an analysis that you could potentially do on your own. Not that, and in fact, don't use any banned pesticides, but say you were interested in, say, looking at an approved pesticide, right? In Washington State, I mentioned there's a list of the approved ones. Then you could do an in-house experiment and, right, you'd have your, um, Uh, what's it called uh the you you'd have your control and your group that you apply the treatment to your treated group um and you would see hey do plants that have pesticides do they last longer in the early days 
and then do they last longer in the later days because the, the the one thought i had here and then i'll i'll move on to the the main takeaway is it could be that and this is 100% a conjecture it could be that you you may be kind of poisoning your plant when you apply pesticides so remember like the the microbutanol so it could be that you are you know say destroying all the the fungicide in the area so it could be your plant has a higher chance of surviving because you know there's there aren't these funguses or pathogens in your environment but it could be that your plant is ultimately less healthy because of that or maybe they're just harvesting those plants quicker. Um, so I don't know how much I would, so 100%, 100% a conjecture, but you know, is it that you know, treated plants are less healthy, but they just last longer at first because they're less likely to be destroyed? And that's all people really care about because they're just trying to get to harvest day as quick as possible um i'm not i'm not certain so i don't know if there's anything that should even be read into this figure but what is the the main takeaway at the end of the day why does this matter well i saved the math for last just do doing a quick cost benefit analysis here so what's the benefit to using pesticides well, that's just going to be the lifetime value of your plant times the number of plants you have times the change in survival based on if you use pesticides. So that would be the difference between these two curves. So it may only be like 1% right so i mean it could be the case that applying pesticides only increases the survival rate of your of your plants by one percent this is a really pertinent statistic you know if it's zero percent then there's no point in adding any pesticides so what you know what is the probability that your plants survive with pesticides versus without. That's of utmost importance. What's the cost of using, in this case, banned pesticides? Well, it's just gonna be the cost of the pesticides themselves, plus there's a chance that the regulators enforce the banned pesticides times the cost that's imposed on you if you get caught with banned pesticides. And it, why does this matter? Well, you can just do a really quick cost benefit analysis to determine what's the likelihood that a cultivator, or this isn't even a likelihood, this is just 
like a calculation does a cultivator have an incentive to use banned pesticides or not and here i'm going to make a couple assumptions i'm just going to assume the cost of pesticides is zero which it could not be so that could be another way that you could discourage people from using banned pesticides is just to make them super expensive um but for some reason i don't think they are i think it's it's not a zero cost but it's relatively um, i don't think it's exorbitantly expensive to buy these chemicals but maybe they are and then i've also just normalized cost to the cost or to the lifetime value of a plant so that way, just all the dollar figures, number to number, just to, to get fewer and fewer variables. But long story short, why does this matter? Well, as the number of plants you grow increases, the benefit you get from using pesticides increases. So we would suspect that the people growing more plants have a higher or have a greater incentive for using pesticides. The more effective the pesticides are, the more likely they are to be used. And then what, what, why would people not use banned pesticides? Well, if the chances they get caught increase, then they're going to be less likely to use them. And then if the cost that is imposed on them when they, or if they get caught, if that increases, right? If you only have a $300 fine, that's not going to be, it may not deter you from using them, but if you have a $3 million fine, that's going to be a bit more costly. Once again, if the probability of enforcement is zero, then as long as applying pesticides increases the survival rate of your plants then the cultivators have every incentive to use them so the only so of course cultivators are always trying to grow more and more plants of course chemical manufacturers are always trying to make their pesticides more and more effective so the only thing that could stop banned pesticides from being used is either enforcement or essentially fines right so either like fining people from using banned pesticides and actually imposing those fines so that's that's all i i really i guess had to to, to share with you today other than hey this is actually a really cool way that you can analyze the survival of your plants to a bit more somber of a subject where, hey, we are observing what I think is a non-negligible amount of banned pesticides being detected in Washington state. And why may that be? Well, maybe people are growing more and more plants maybe these pesticides are becoming more and more effective and also there may be very little chance of enforcement or there may be very low cost if you do get caught with a banned pesticide
So I don't know. I just think those were worthwhile statistics to to share today. So I wanted to do that. So hopefully you found something of value here, whether it was, hey, how can I help my plant survive to the, hey, you know, how do we structure incentives to, you know, make sure that people aren't bending the rules. So, so that's what I had to share with you today. Any thoughts, comments, questions before we call it a day? Um, I just wanted to say thank you for your presentation. Um, I, my undergraduate area of study was in economics. Um, and I'm currently working on my master's degree in data science. So um, I, I definitely found the presentation interesting. You know, um, I would be interested in getting the data set, um, maybe seeing some of the code that you use to generate some of these graphs. Um, and I found it interesting from the public policy perspective too. So I just wanted to say thank you very much. And um, I hope to join you again in future weeks and see what you're up to. Absolutely. And I'm going to make sure that you all have a hold of the data. The code is avail will be available on GitHub. So if I don't get you the links directly, reach out to me. I'll make sure you have the data. Make sure you have the code. And yes, I encourage you all to, to take a look because, as I said, you know, this was my first pass. And that's what I found meaningful or insightful in the data. But as I always say, put any good data scientist in front of this material and you're almost guaranteed to find something of interest. So I absolutely love it, Felicia. Thank you for joining. All right, thank you. And thank you all. Thank you all everybody for joining. I didn't quite get to your thoughts, comments and questions, but I will spend some time and make sure I address them all. So thank you. Thank you all for coming. Thank you for helping advance cannabis science. And we'll have something brighter on the agenda for next week. This just had to be covered. So thank you all. And now go enjoy your days. Mm -hmm.